Well, thank you, gals, and thank you, Paul, for leading in today to the message we have. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and uh, let's once again turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, and uh, today we'll begin reading at verse 1, Philippians chapter 4, and beginning reading at verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche, and they be of the same, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth, passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue... And if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly now that at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content." I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and... Our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. May God add a special blessing to reading of His Word today. And let us pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we come with anticipation and with thanksgiving today as we have the opportunity to gather around Your Word and knowing that You are a God of all. You are awesome, outrageously sovereign and almighty. In every way, Father, You are beyond what we can imagine, and yet you've chosen to love us and to show us more of yourself through the word that you've given to us to further explain who you are. Now, Father, for these moments before us, we rest upon you, asking you to teach us through the power of the Holy Spirit and he alone. We would ask that our hearts and our minds, everything that makes us who we are, that it would be tuned in to your frequency. That relationally we will have said after this that we've never been closer to our Lord. These, will be, these things will be because of the awesome grace that you bestowed upon us moment by moment. And now we thank you for what you'll accomplish in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, last week, uh, actually, I guess I got to think about this. Uh, several weeks ago, we started. Uh, what were we doing? We were talking about oh, how to glorify God, right? We talked even the week before that. It all started from a question, stemmed from a question: Why are we here? That's a great question. Everyone should ask that question as long as as they're old enough to have a. Yeah, why am I here? Now, a lot of life and society will tell you, you're just an accident, it doesn't matter, you just carry on, take care of yourself, and that's all there is to it. And you live, you die, and it's over. Wow, does that feel good or what? I can tell you with a great deal of confidence, though, the Word of God says that's not true. And we spent some time developing that in the fact that God created man and woman, and he made them from nothing. And he created them for the purpose of them loving him and enjoying him forever. Isn't that awesome? So there is a purpose. And he knew you. He knew you even in your mother's womb. He meticulously formed and made you. That sounds a lot better than just, oh, just kind of crawling out of a mud puddle, as evolution would have us believe. No, our God is real. He is awesome. And he, not only that, he knew we were going to fall into sin. And he said, I'm going to take care of that before I even make them, because I know all things from the beginning to the end, and before there was a beginning, before there's even an end to be thought about, he is and was, and the word Yahweh, I am. Think, think of that, just the capturing of that, and then he said that I'm going to provide the perfect sacrifice to regain what was lost, and where in a couple of weeks would be a time for us to celebrate and to commemorate Jesus Christ's birth on earth, a God that became man, became the baby, literally in a manger that was the perfect answer to everything that man messed up. <laughs> now, that's pretty cool, isn't it? And that's what the Word of God is about. It's all about Jesus. But he also gives us a lot more insights to himself. And we talked uh, after that, we, well, how do we glorify God? Because that's one of our missions. That's why we're here, is to glorify God in all that we do and say. And we live. We talked about that. And then there was one that kind of sprung out at me as I was studying for that. It was, it was the thing called that no one has, it seems like, anymore. It's gone. It's evaporated. And you're looking at, what is he talking about? Contentment. Contentment is so elusive. It's so far away from what most... And by the way, people that are seeking happiness never find it if that's what they're looking for. It never happens. Contentment is a sense of... Actually, let's uh, help me again. Uh, I've erased the board. We had some things on there. But help me. Uh, tell me what else we could say for contentment. When I say contentment, what do you say? Impossible? What'd you say? Peace? Okay. Peace with what? Peace of mind? Okay. Someone said independent of wanting more. Yeah, I think I gave that to you last week. Independence of wanting more. Wrap your head around that one for a little bit. Satisfied with what God has given you. I think that's really good. Satisfied. The Buddhist would say the cessation of desire. That, yeah, actually, and you know what? There was actually the Greek Stoics worked really hard at that because what they would do is, is they would disre... And, and there's, a, there's a word that I just failed to get. Um, help me for a minute. Um, Contentment is not indifference. And much along the line that Wade has just said is the Greek Stoics were the same way. They would become indifferent to things, to people, to anything, so that they were detached 
but that would mean loveless, indifference, and to separate themselves any way possible. Now, that is not what we're talking about, is it? But, they, but, but those outside of the Lord would say, that's contentment. I'm not, I, again, what is that really about? Self. It's all about self. And anyone that's really big on self, no contentment. To chase self around the room is impossible to find contentment. It will be elusive. Okay, I've got to finish what satisfied with what God has provided. Very good. Excuse me? One more time. Yeah, right, exactly. Because there's, there's a part of that is, and we talked about this last week in the sense of God's providence. In other words, having that complete trust, we'll be working on this a little bit later as well, that God knows all, loves us more than we could possibly imagine, and wants our very best. And then when we're in his arms, in his time, in his place, right now. You see what that does? Oh, right? Oh. Show me one that's, that's discontent. And again, there's, there's two kinds of people. There's obviously those that have trusted Christ as Savior, and there's those that haven't. The ones that have, unfortunately, sometimes are just as discontent as those that don't know Christ. And really, the key component, we'll talk about this in just a second. Um, there's something else I was going to write here. We'll wait, we'll wait. Um, what else about contentment? Anything that you have? You know, when Jesus was, had that well with that Samaritan woman. Yes. He said, if you drink of this water, you will thirst again. But if you drink of my living water, you will never thirst. Well, that's contentment. That's beautiful. Now, what did she take from that message? Give me some of that water to drink. See, she missed it, didn't she? And sometimes there's things or places, or whatever else that we look to that we can see that we think will give us contentment. I'm here to say, none of that will do it. And just as Jesus, he pointed out to her, if you, if you drink the living water, the water that I can provide you, you'll never thirst again. What was he talking about? Contentment spiritually and literally overall, her well-being would be content because it would be placed in him. And she just said, I want that kind of water. That must be Fiji water. That must be smart water. That must, you know where I'm going, right? You can't buy that water. It's free because Jesus Christ paid for it. And he put that water right on the shelf, and his grace is available when you trust him by faith. Isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. That's where true contentment comes from. And that's really the place we want to start. However, I want to even start back a little bit further. Before contentment, if you will, and we've read in contentment, and you, you kind of get in, in verses 10 of chapter 4 of Philippians, through the remainder of that chapter, he's talking about contentment. But I really want to focus on the first nine verses today because there's something that sets us into place. I want to, I want to throw out two more words to, do, to you today that, that are very closely related to contentment, but it's almost like it sets us up for it. One of them is stability. Stable. And when one is stable... I think of this, I, I don't know why, but I'm just this way. Um, in other words, let, let's take one of those uh, utility trucks or, a, or a, one of those, one of an extended boom. You could call whatever you want, a telehandler, something of that nature. And I'm talking about the ones that really get after it. What is, what's important for them, and I, and I think of a utility truck, for instance. Let's say there's a fuse out, and they're going to send a man up on the pole, and he's, in the, and he's in the box, right? You know what I'm talking about? You're all there. Okay. 
And you're going to say, how does this fit in with contentment or stability in this case? Well, before he actually goes up in his bucket, what does he do first of all? He, yes, he prepares. He takes the things that he needs. That's, that's very true. And that that's actually is a great lesson for us as well. What's the other thing? Before he goes, let's say he's got all this stuff in, in his tub or, you know, the, the, car, the cage or whatever they want to call it. I just call it a tub, right? Okay. Um, there's something that he does, first of all, before he does anything. Yeah, you're right there. He puts those stabilizer arms down. Because when you're in the air, guess what happens if you have wind? Or if he takes his bucket and he moves over to the side of the truck with no stability. Right? Stability is absolutely important. And I think it's a key component when we talk about contentment. Because stability is what sets everything in order. And Paul does a really nice job in the first nine verses of allowing us to see keys to stability. Or another word we could say is adequacy. Adequacy. Uh, Paul was very adequate. That's why he could say that he was content. The same for you. Those three words you can almost use synonymously. They're words that, that really depict a sense of a, of a comfortable, contented Christian life. Now, there's a lot of people that don't know how to live life. Uh, have you, in fact, even this last week, I'm sure someone, somewhere, and many in a, in a large volume, just, I can't cope with life anymore. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Why do they do that? Because they haven't learned how to live. And if you don't know how to live, that's one of the most, that's one of the most difficult things that will ever happen. And then circumstances rule everything. And that's what Paul really gives us a picture in. Because now we're going to start at the last verse. I'm talking, we're, we're, we're dealing, I read the whole, the whole passage because it, it is, it, it, it kind of flows by itself. But I want to, I want to come backwards from where we want to end up. And I'm going to start with one verse that really allows us to do something. He, I'm going to give you the last point first. And that seems really weird, doesn't it? But one of the things that allows us to be stable, to be adequate, and ultimately to be content is having an example to follow. Having an example to follow. Isn't it easier if you see someone else that went through? It's almost like a parent. Uh, when, you, when you're struggling at whatever age you are in life, to be able to look either backwards or forwards, looking at a parent, someone that's close to you, they made it. Somehow they got through it. Do you see what I'm saying? That, there, there's something about that. I want you to see how Paul actually describes this. And again, uh, I say it all of the time, but context, context, context. Where is Paul at writing in Philippians? He's in prison. What else do you know about? He's chained to a guard. Talk about a captive audience. It's not Paul that's trapped. It's those guards that are trapped. And we went through that last week. Uh, I think we did, didn't we? We talked about, really, he saw it in chapter 1. He described, you know what? All of the struggles, all the things I've had are really for the progress of the gospel. I'm in prison, but God used it to multiply his kingdom. And ultimately, he, we didn't read the verses today, but in verse 22 of chapter 4, it says that greetings from Caesar's household. The only way that could have happened, ultimately, is because Paul was there getting people saved as he was a prisoner. That is unbelievable. You talk about taking circumstances and going and living beyond them. What a beautiful way. And he opens that up in chapter 1. Paul was also, he was ridiculed. Because one of the things that would say, well, look what happened to Paul. He obviously, God is obviously judging him because he's in prison. And there would be those that had followed up in the, in, in, uh, the church of Philippi. 
really saying that. And Paul said, it doesn't matter as long as Christ is preached. That's all that matters. Now, that's a man that looks to me like he's pretty content. That sounds like a man that's pretty stable because you know what? Who can take criticism constructively? A stable person. Someone that is adequate in their faith. Someone that is content, they can take it. And they sort it off. Some stuff, I know some of the criticisms, uh, and wherever you're at, you've, how many have not taken criticism ever? Excellent. That's exactly the way I want to say because if someone's hand would have raised up, I said, you're not being truthful because someone, I'm, I, all of you somewhere have been criticized. Now, some of it can be constructive. Some of it coming from your parents may be very good. They want to help you mature. They want to help you. But there's other criticisms that really, again, is based on selfishness from the person that's giving it. And it really just tears down, demeans, and exploits you, your expense, to make them look grander. But those are stuff just sorted off. It has no value. That takes a stable person to be able to do that. Paul is in a situation that would cause many others a great deal of turmoil and travail. But to him... He says in verse 9 of chapter 4, let's turn there for a moment. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. You know what he's saying? Just follow after me. Just follow me because you can trust the God that has worked in me to do the things in you. So let's follow Paul. And that's exactly what we're going to do. And we think about going back to verse 1. Let's go there for a second of chapter 4. And, uh, you know, you'll find out the rules. The first word tells us that we're going to have to go back further, doesn't it? What is the first word there in verse 1 of chapter 4? It says, therefore. Now, what you want to do if you see a therefore is see what it's there for. So let's go back to chapter 3 for a moment and let's watch what happens. In verse 20 and 21, it says, for our conversation is in heaven. Now, that word actually means the citizenship. In other words, you know, how many of you would say today that you're a citizen of the United States of America? And that would be correct. But I'm here to tell you, if you've trusted Christ, you're a dual citizenship. In fact, your real home, the real place of residence is where? It's in heaven with God. And someday, if you've trusted Christ, you will be there. And he's saying this, that our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he's able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, he's saying, when you're focused on that, when you're focused on your ultimate home, with your ultimate Savior, because of that, dear friends, I want you now to pay attention. That's literally what he's saying when he says, therefore, in verse 1 of chapter 4. I mean, wouldn't that be, I think I thought of this as I was, I was actually just back here where you guys were singing, singing, I was listening and, and uh, I thought of something right now. Paul is telling us, get your focus on what's really important. Remember when Peter stepped up, here comes Jesus walking on the water and, and, you know, we're critical of the other disciples. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're critical of Peter. I got it wrong. I got it wrong. We're critical of Peter because he kind of his, his faith evaporated, right? But how about the other 11? They never got out of the boat. Peter was, what, but why did Peter get out of the boat? This is really key. Why did Peter get out of the boat? And he saw Jesus. He says, if it be you, let me come on to you. Now that is faith. 
When's the last time he'd walked on water before that? The point of the matter is circumstances meant nothing. When our eyes on Jesus, circumstances mean zero. Because we're God's. We're Jesus Christ's. We're in union with him. And it brings us to the first. Because what he says next is therefore, because we're citizens of heaven, we've got our eyes on Jesus. He says, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. That's the first way to be stable, is to stand fast in the Lord. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, or anywhere within the ear, or what you're hearing today, if you do not know Jesus personally, then you have no possible way of being content. It's impossible. In fact, there's no way for you to be stable or be content at all. Because therein is the first key for you to be able to unlock the secret of contentment. Uh, trusting Christ as your Savior, to be in Him. Now, somebody's done the math. I didn't. I read it today. But in Ephesians particularly, it says, in Christ, in Him, in whom, okay, all of those. Remember those? Which I, I love those things because there's a sense of, of, of communion. There's a sense of connectedness being combined 132 times in Paul's letters. He uses that phrase. That's crazy. Do, do you think he wants to make a point? You better believe it. To stand fast in the Lord. To be in Him. Uh, and, and you think about that for a moment. I probably won't get it exactly. But first of all, think of we, with me. How could we... Uh, what's the way to be in the Lord? To stand fast in the Lord? There's only one way. There's only one way. And Jesus told us back in John chapter 14. You guys know what it was? What it was? John 14, 6. What does it say? I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And... Some people get to the... No. No one comes to the Father except by me. And some are not very happy about that. They say, well, it's very exclusive. I'll tell you what, if, you're, if you can make the rules, you can be exclusive. Right? And that's what God did. He said, the only way you'll get to me is through Jesus Christ. The only way to be in Him, to be connected, if you will, is to be in Christ. Without Jesus, everything is shifting sand. Think of that for a moment. Have you ever, have you ever witnessed uh, quicksand? Have you ever been in a situation that it is, you, kinda, you just can't really get out of it? Have you ever been in that deep mud where it's about knee deep and you leave but the boot stays there? Have you ever done that? And you're in the corral? Yeah, I see a lot of heads nodding. It's a pretty picture, isn't it? Let's just leave that picture there for right now. <laughs> but, it, but really, it's the same. Without Jesus Christ, your life is, a, is shifting sand. I want, to, I want to take you to someone of which his circumstances not changed. We've been here several times. He's, he's a minor prophet that really continue. He, he just resonates the things that we need in the sense of this whole study because he trusted God explicitly. And he's asking God a question, and he gets the answer, and it even makes it more difficult for him to understand. Have you ever been there? Like, oh, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I ask a simple question, and now it's more confusing than ever. And this man's name was Habakkuk. Okay, and he's saying, hey, Israel is in sin. We're not getting anywhere. This looks like a mess. God, how long are you going to do that? How long are you going to let these guys go on? Why don't you come and take care of business? And God says, I am. I'm going to have the Chaldeans whoop up on the Israelites. Now, that's a Larry translation, but you know, that's exactly what he meant. And then, and then Habakkuk's like, whoa, wait a minute. They're worse than we are. What kind of sense does that make? You see how, to, you, you notice how, how the humans judge one another. I'm better than him. He's not as good. Right? And, and Habakkuk, 
couldn't figure out why God would use a godless people to literally discipline his own chosen people. Yeah, right? That's a good question. But you know what he does? Now, what happens is, is he's, he's, he's moved from stability, because he's a prophet in God. He's very stable, doesn't understand everything. And then God lays that on him. And you know what happens? He starts to slide and getting into some of that soft sand, some of that soft soil, if you will. And he's starting to, and that's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? It's not very stable. But I want you to, we're going to go to one verse, and I want you to see after getting that from God, how he declares some things that he knows to be true about God, and he starts to rest or to stand fast in him. Let's do it rather quickly, uh, because it's an offshoot of where we're at today. But Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1. And we'll look at verse 12. Now, this is after God has just told him, uh, basically, in several verses, he says, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, and I'm going to have them take care of my people. And he, he, he's kind of posing, a, he's, he's like, I don't understand. But what he does, first of all, is he makes sure that he understands and declares who God is. He says in verse 12, Art thou not from everlasting O Lord, my God, mine holy one, we shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. There is a host of things that he's declaring right there. Number one is when he says, from everlasting. In other words, God is eternal. For everlasting. There's no ending. There's no beginning. So that's a good start because the God that he's trusting in is everlasting. He follows up with, O Lord, my God. If you take O Lord, that word is Yahweh. I am, which would say he's self-existent. He doesn't need anybody anywhere to be who he is. So now he's uncovered. He's an everlasting Yahweh. I am, no beginning, and he's self-existent. I'm liking the picture now, aren't we? Now, keep going. And he, he comes up with the third one. He says, you're holy. He says, my holy one. What does that mean? God can only do what's right. God is, that, that, that word to me, that's the best way I can ever describe it for myself. God can only do what is right. And that's good enough for me. That's good enough for me. So we have an everlasting God. We have a self-existent God needing of nobody. And he's holy. He can only do what's right. And just, that's right. And there's one more. Actually, there's two more. Go to the word at the end. It says, and oh, mighty God, mighty God. We could actually say, uh, you remember how, how uh, David in the Psalms would say he would declare God as being his rock, uh, my rock of salvation. That's the same. Oh, mighty God. Oh, rock. It, you know, he, sometimes he wants to cling to it. Sometimes he stands on it. But the sense is all about stability. My God is sovereign he is almighty he is holy he is self-existent and the last one you might have caught in the very first in the front part of verse 12 it says we shall not die now who's he speaking of he's speaking of the israelites correct who's we those that have trusted god those that have put their trust in because god made a promise God made a number of promises to Israel, and all of them were really around this. I will protect you when you trust me. 
And actually in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 15, it says all of those that... I'm thinking of the word right now. Abram, remember what he said? I will bless... There it is. That's an easy one, isn't it? I will bless those that bless thee. And I will curse those that curse thee. Uh, make no... Make no no, make no doubt about this, friends, today. In the year 2019, soon to be gone, anyone's intentions for or against Israel, God's chosen people today, regardless of how long ago those statements were said, remain to be true because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When someone takes a stand against Israel, I will tell you, they will lose. Our country is headed, edging towards not only not supporting Israel, we're moving to actually taking an adversarially approach to Israel. Mark that day will be a day that we will be in the crosshairs of danger. We already are because of Romans chapter 1. We have been, we've left, God has left us over to a reprobate mind. That's why today in Washington, D.C., they can't even see truth for what it is. We've lost our way. And, and that really, when you don't um, see truth, for what it is, then it's almost like you have no chance of even per- perceiving it. That's where we're at. Amazing. But did you see what Habakkuk did? I got, I got a little bit off. Somebody should have cut that branch off. I traveled down there a little ways. But did you notice what Habakkuk did? I do not have any idea what God's doing right now, but I right now want to make sure I understand all the things that God is. He did it in one verse. Review with me quickly. He was... Oh, I hope we don't have to do this again. Everlasting. Everlasting. Self-existent. Holy. He couldn't do wrong. He's got to do right. Excuse me? Mighty. Sovereign. Unbelievable. The rock. And number five? Just. And I think there was one more. Was it? Yep. Oh, yeah. This one's really important. I hope I gave it to you. We were just talking about it, actually. I got, remember that branch that was down? How did I get down that branch? He says, God had made promises to his people. And those promises, Habakkuk said, you know what? We will not die because you've promised. And you can't go back on your promises because God cannot lie. Write that down if you don't know it. God cannot lie. When he said in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, which is to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is a truth that can never be broken. Thank goodness. Those dark moments in the middle of the night when you can't sleep, when things are arriving, and you know what? We're going to actually I'm gonna hold that thunder for just a second. We gotta, we've got some stuff coming with that. So the first one we find in the sense of stability, the first key to contentment is to be firmly grounded, to stand fast, in the Lord. One more verse. Uh, quickly go to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Uh, Paul had written this letter to the Galatians who were getting off track. They were moving from grace to legalism. And it's, he was, felt it important to describe literally his position with Christ. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. A familiar verse to maybe most of you. It says this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is a beautiful, beautiful verse. And, and when you're in Christ, it's almost like the bird flying in the air or the fish in the sea or the roots of a plant in soil. That's what it is to be in Christ. The nourishment, all of that very, all of the things that surround you when you're in Christ, that's powerful. 
It is so powerful. So stand fast. Now, if you're here and you haven't trusted Christ, then that's the first thing. You gotta, it's almost like go back to step one. If you haven't done that, go back to step one. You can listen to the rest of them all day long, and that's fine. But if you haven't done that, none of it will work until you go back to step one. That's the starting point. Now, number two, we find in the sense of how Paul, now in this situation, the circumstance he found himself, was he always was interested in selflessness. And selflessness is loving others. He was giving his life away, if you will. I want you to see how he... Now, this would be, if you had an English teacher here, they would say verse 1 is actually redundant. Let me read it, and then you tell me what's redundant. Therefore, we've talked about that, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. What would be the redundancy of this? Dearly beloved. In other words, he starts off, dearly beloved, and by the end of the sentence, he wants to make sure they understand. Dearly beloved. And an English teacher, someone, and by the way, grammatically, that would be, that's overkill, right? I remember how many times writing a term paper, and my teacher would say, Larry, you don't have to say the same thing all the time. Use different words. Do different thoughts. And I'm like, well, it sounds good enough to me. And you know what? For Paul, making this message, it's spot on. It's not redundant. It's perfect because he wants people to know how much he loves them, how much he loves them. In fact, he's concerned about two women. You find those in verse 2 as he's giving his life away. He's very concerned. He's not, uh, he, and the other thing is he's not concerned about himself. Not at all. He doesn't define his life by circumstances that he's enduring or experiencing. He defines it by the kind of relationship that he has with other people. In verse 2 it says there's two women, Eudeus and Syntyche. And he's praying that they would be of the same mind in the Lord. What, is, what does that mean? What do you mean, to be of the same mind in the Lord? Get along. There's a tiff going on, right? There might have been, I don't know, some curtains. And Syntyche wanted blue ones, and Eudeus wanted pink ones. And I do not know that. But the point of the matter is that sometimes it's such a small thing that causes dissension and this interruption, right? Boom, heads banging. And Paul says, you know what? Stop it. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Let's, let's get together in unity. Let's get, and you know what? I'm thinking of that. Um, Contentment is so, uh, what, how do I show this? It grows so strong, it becomes more uh, strong in the soil of selflessness. Contentment grows in soil of selflessness. And Paul was selfless as no one could imagine, other than the only one more so was in Philippians chapter 2. He described the epitome of humility, and that was who? Jesus Christ. The other picture of selflessness. Love. Love, love, love. In fact, he goes on in verse 3. He says, I entreat you also. He says, it says, true yoke fellow. Are those, and you can, there's, a, there's a principle or it's thought that that word in the Greek is actually a name of someone. And he's, he's addressing that person. Would you step up and see if you can't help these two ladies get it together? But if it, isn't a, if it isn't a person personally, and it could be, it's the word, the Greek word is one that I, I can't pronounce. <laughs> I could spell it, but I'm not sure how to say it, so there's no sense saying it. It could be that personal, a person, or at the other side of it, anyone, be a yoke fellow. Let's pull this thing together and get these two on the same page so that our unity comes back together. That's beautiful, isn't it? Show me a church that can't get along. I'll show you one that Christ is not doing much work in because there's not any unity in Christ. Love, selflessness, a key component to stability, absolutely monstrous. 
It's interesting because in chapter 1, let's go back there for a moment, Philippians. We, a couple of verses I want to point out to you. Uh, maybe do these uh, on your own, but... <clears throat> Uh, verse 18, chapter 1 of Philippians says, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, you and also, and will rejoice. In all, all of the events that surrounded his life, bottom line, Christ is preached. Verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know what? There's just no way but good. No matter what happens, I'm fixed. I'm going where he wants me to go. Bring it on. Bring it on. Let's see, there was... Okay, let's keep going. We come to the third point, back to Philippians chapter 4. And it's a spirit of rejoicing. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, did you see again the redundancy? Ah, it's meant to be that way. Rejoice, it's actually meant as a command. Don't stop, practice it constantly. It should be obeyed in the Lord, not in circumstances or things or people. It's independent of circumstances, joy, that is. And that primary source of, of joy is obedience. And we've talked about John 15 a number of times. John 15. Um, let, I want to back up just to I just happened to think of something. One of the things, what do you think Paul was worried about? Uh, worry's not the right word, by the way. He would never use that word, worry. He's, he, he would meet things with prayer and not anxiety. And that's why he's saying, I, I want you guys to get it together. And he's praying about it, I'm sure. But let's take Eudeus and Syntyche. What would be concerning to him of what could happen to those two, given this? And again, we're not even told. It doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter what the, what the disagreement is about. But why do you think he wants them to get together? Let's get in the same mind, ladies. What, what, do, what do you think it is? doesn't work in fact let, let's walk through that and you're exactly right but what is it that takes that place what is i always talk about it this way in in, in a war there the the enemy whoever it is if you're if you're advancing against the enemy one of the things you want to do is you want to get a solid point or a beachhead d-day was one of those things they came on and i mean there was men and blood spilt to get a position to get a beachhead because once we're fixed we got a chance and this is what happened now when they're in disharmony, in disunity. First of all, they can't get anything accomplished for Jesus, that's sure. But secondarily, you know what usually takes its place and becomes more infected? Division. And what's usually at the basis of that? Pride, ultimately. Because you know what? You know what? You know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ad lib a little bit. Syntyche says, well, I never. And Eudeus says, I will. I can't believe you're treating me like that. I'm not going to... What's happened? They're, they're, yes, I. And pride is behind I. There's an I in pride. Well, that was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> right in the middle of pride. It's in the middle of everything, isn't it? That's even right, right? P-R-I-D-E. I is in the middle of pride. Oh, that'll preach. Yeah, I better write that down. Somebody better write it down. But the point of the matter is, is you know what? Pride is keeping those two apart. And you know what's at the basis of pride? Because Satan is, that is his number one downfall himself, is bitterness will set in. Bitterness is one of the most devious, the most diabolical things to get inside a Christian's life. And I'm telling you right now, those two are Christian gals. Bitterness will destroy you from the inside. 
It will destroy you. In fact, um, let's see if I wrote something down here. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. You know, Ernie, I'm a little bit afraid we're not going to get done today. But what do you think? We okay? Oh, you're okay. Colossians chapter 3. I'd like to turn to verse 8 first. But now you also put off of these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy or slander, filthy communication out of your mouth. You know what? You know how those happen? Now, what did I just say the second point was? This is a review, but it also points us to this right now. What was the second point of stability? Paul is showing selflessness, and ultimately selflessness is love. So when we don't have love, those things which I just laid out happen. Anger can be conquered with love. Malice can be conquered with love. Slander can be conquered with love. Filthy communication, that can be conquered with love. All of those are love-absent traits. And he said, put them off. In other words, put on. Let's go back now to verses 12, 13, and 14. Same chapter. I left my place. I'll be right back. Colossians chapter 3, start now in verse 12. Put off those things. Look at verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all of these things, put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. Is that not perfect? The things you should have put off are the things that happen when we have no love. When you put charity on, guess what? It makes it a bond of perfectness. That's beautiful. It fits wonderfully in our model of stability. Having adequate love. Adequate love. I can't tell you how many times, and I could give you statistics for uh, quite a bit here, how, much long, how many long-term health problems, how many broken of everything bitterness brings. It's long-term. I, I wrote this down. Uh, just, it came to, came to me as I was studying today. Long-term lovelessness is what bitterness is. <laughs> you get entrenched in lovelessness. I, I'm so saddened by a person that is bitter. It is so sad. It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's tragic. It's just tragic. And Jesus must be broken hearted by this, especially. Now again, I want you to be very careful. Judas and Santiki are, they're Christian women. They've been actively engaged in Paul's ministry. And he's saying, get it together. And Paul is stretching out in love, even though he's in prison. He could have said, you know, you guys, knock it off. I mean, I'm in prison. I'm the one that should be whining here. Why don't you deal with my needs? Right? Not Paul. Joy. Joy. It would be like saying... Rejoicing, and, and Paul to say that where he's at, saying to God, I'm yours. I don't understand, but I'm glad to belong to you. <laughs> and I can rejoice. I can be praising in that situation. There's something about Christian joy. One thing is it, is, it goes on always. In fact, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. It's incessant. It never stops. It's not based in circumstances. It's totally and always in the Lord. And it's independent. Joy is in spite of, not because of. In other words, you've heard of the, uh, you've heard of, let me see, if I'll see, this acronyms. Do you guys like acronyms? Okay. If I go, what, what, whoa, whoa. 
Did somebody say no? Oh, my goodness. Well, put your earplugs in for just a second. You won't be able to stick. But you're... Okay, well, we're, but, but today you're in the Lord's army, so that's where we're going to go. I'm going to go with that, okay? <laughs> Boy, there's some, there's some discontent in the, in, the, in the audience right now. Okay, no problem. I, I did. I had it coming. You're exactly right. Oh, I asked silly questions, right? I appreciate the honesty. What, is it, what do you think that means? And that would probably work. It's really close. Now, I'm going to... And, and actually, that, that's cool. But let's take Paul's situation for a moment. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And you say, well, wait a minute, Paul. You're in prison. I mean, you, you've been taken to task. I mean, you're, you're I, I, don't, I don't understand. How can you say that? He would say, or, or Habakkuk. Remember, his circumstances did not change. And what did he, he still addressed God. And then when nothing would happen, there'd be no crops, there'd be no cattle, there'd be no sheep, there'd be no nothing. He says, I'm going to praise God anyway. So, oh, I gave it away. Praise the Lord anyway, right? P-T-L-A. Praise the Lord anyway. But I still like Karen's praise the Lord always. That's really what we could say. But, you know, they both fit. They both fit. When you have a bad day, a bad month, a bad year, praise the Lord anyway. Because he's still God. And I'm, I am, I'm talking to myself here too. Excuse me? It is. It's active. It's a, and it is, it's a command. The other thing I want, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. The way he states it, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. It's not just for kicks. It's the real deal. All right, let's go to the other. And this one's going to be a little bit uh, in the King James, verse 5. It says this. Okay, so let's, let's review it as we go because we may not have time to finish. So number one was stand fast in the Lord. Be stable in him. That's number one. You have to have Jesus Christ. If you don't have him, you're done. There's nothing. There's no point going further. Stop. Go back. Get it right. Number two, selflessness or love. Engaged in love. Number three, joy. Rejoice. Rejoice always in all circumstances because joy is not, re, not um, dependent upon circumstance. It's in spite of. Now, so we come to the fourth one and we find it in verse five. It says in verse 5, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And I'm going to go on. Be careful for nothing. Now you say, whoa, what is that all about? Let your moderation be what? Be known unto all men. Well, I'd like you to turn to 2 Timothy for a moment as you're pondering that. 2 Timothy Chapter 2 and verse 24. Now, if you were to take your uh, concordance and look for the word moderation in the King James, there would be one occurrence, one time. But if you look up the Greek word that that was translated into, you'll find exactly the same word on actually on three different occasions. As you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, we'll find it here. Now, he's talking about a servant of Jesus Christ. He's, he's, he's really, he's telling Timothy, he's mentoring to him. He says, let's start in verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Look at now, go back to verse 5. Oh, you get your finger, I should have told you to stay there. Fingers back in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Watch. Let your moderation be known unto all men. That word moderation and the word gentle 
in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, in the Greek is exactly the same word. So now let's, let's plug that in to verse 5 of chapter 4, and it says, Let your gentleness be known unto all men. Tell me what gentleness is. What is gentleness? Do you like gentleness? Do you like to be around gentleness? Are you gentle? Oh, those are, wow, you ask a lot of questions. What's, what, what, where can gentleness come from? From love. It's actually one of the fruits of the Spirit. Let's go to Galatians while you're pondering all of this. Uh, chapter 5 of Galatians. And let's look at verses, I think it's 22, we'll find ourselves. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. I think we're going to be right. Okay, here we go. But the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, as you're in Christ... And the Holy Spirit is working within you. And if you're a Christian, He is. He's there. As you yield to Him, guess what happens? Fruit starts to bear. And it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now, have we noticed love, joy, peace here thus far? That gives stability, doesn't it? Long-suffering, but be patience. And then what's the next one? Gentleness. Goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Let your moderation or your gentleness be known unto all men. I'd like you to go to 1 Thessalonians. Now, hold your place. We'll be right back. 1 Thessalonians, I'd like to go to chapter 2. Now, this is a very interesting passage because, believe it or not, am I right? Let's see. No, I went to 2 Thessalonians. I'm sorry. I'll be right with you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to read, begin reading at verse, actually in verse 2. In verse 2. Uh, we might as well start in verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, now watch, verse 2. Now he's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he says this, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, where? At Philippi. He's just been writing. Now, we've been, re- we've been studying the Philippians. And when he was there at Philippi and those first ones got saved, it wasn't any fun. You'll find that in Acts. You'll find it in Acts, I, I believe it's chapter 16. Well, why don't you write that down? You can read. He was actually beaten and imprisoned there in Philippi. And, and so he says, I was shamefully entreated. We were bold. Now, I want you to keep watching. But we were bold in our God to speak unto you, the Thessalonians, the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, he wasn't trying to fool them, nor of uncleanness, nor of guile. He wasn't trying, to, again, to deceive them, to, to fool them. But as we were allowed of God to put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which is trieth, trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Again, that is the same Greek word that is back in verse 5 of chapter 3 of Philippians. Gentle. Now, think of that. That's got to come from within. You take Paul, it just got it. Got whooped, beaten. I was going to say something. He just, he just got beat to death almost in Philippi. And he comes to the Thessalonica. You know, there'd be something, right? You're going to try to get along. He said, no. You know what we came? The only thing we came with was gentleness. 
Show me someone that is gentle with the unsaved, that is caring and is loving, that is gentle. I'll show you someone that God can do a lot of work through. A lot of work through. Harshness, pridefulness, arrogancy, dogmatic, painfully stick it in their face. No, the Holy Spirit does that work. That's His business. Conviction comes from Him. For us to be gentle sharing the Word of God, that's beautiful. That's what we need. That's what Paul did. I love that. I love that. It was uh, just opening to my eyes in the sense of getting stability and contentedness as well. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Someone just... David, you want to just step up and set that clock back about 30 minutes and it'll be just right for us. No, don't do that. That's okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's look at verse 1. Now I, Paul... Are you all there? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Again, Paul. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold towards you. He, the two things that we really can really count on with Jesus Christ is meekness. What is meekness? Tell me. Oh, it's weakness, right? No, 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 it's not weakness. It's what? Power under control. In other words, you would have the power to do harm and to take control or to be forceful, but you don't. Jesus Christ, as he stood before Pilate, and Pilate's kind of the whoopity doopy deal, right? You know, like, well, what's truth? You know, I'm in charge of you, and why don't you just remember that? Jesus could have smoked him. Just boom, gone, over with. Those people that hung him on the cross, now that is meekness. They, he took what was necessary to do the most righteous, uh, perfect thing possible ever, ever, ever. And it required meekness to be able to do that. In your situation, you may be on the job, you may be at work, you may be somewhere where you are actually have a lot of power. But sometimes it's best for you not to utilize that, not to show who you are, but in gentleness and meekness. Oh, that's a powerful position. Power. I'll tell you what. My Jesus, yes, he was gentle. But he could become a lion. And he is coming as a lion next time. But the gentleness of my Savior. As I was thinking of this too. Uh, Ernie was talking about that Samaritan woman at the well. It's so interesting to me to watch the dialogue that took place. He knew, he knew everything about her. But what was his, what was, how did he handle that? Now, if he would, yeah, that's exactly right. Now, if he would, he beat me to it. The answer is gentleness. But you know what? Now, if he would have been just a Jewish man, first of all, he wouldn't have given her the time of day. Secondarily, if it was even a Samaritan man, he wouldn't have given them the time of day. They were a half-breed. That's how they viewed him. They were a dog. In fact, there were some priests and Sadducees and Pharisees that would walk around Samaria to not even walk through it in case they would encounter someone. Yeah, and here's Jesus, gentle, meek Savior. Isn't that something? Talking about living water for this woman that needed it desperately. Are we like Jesus? Gentleness. I want you to look at two more that fit. Let's go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Now, this is, this is uh, describing for us Titus chapter 3 and verse 2. I think I'm right. Nah. Oh, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Titus chapter 3, verse 2. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Did you, do you see the commonality of these, of these attributes coming together? Now, followed with one more. Go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. 
and we're going to move on. James chapter 3 and verse 17. James chapter 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Now we're talking about wisdom that would come from God. It's first pure, then peaceable. Guess what? Gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Again, this is all coming together. So we have standing fast in the Lord. Second one was selflessness, our love, others. Third one was rejoice, always. Fourth is gentleness. The fifth one we find in, in, in the fifth verse back in Philippians again. This one, this one, and I read that. Let me, say, let me read it again because this, I'm going to ask what you're going to... This is a test, so be ready. Let your moderation be known unto all men. We just described that Greek word is gentle. Let your gentleness be known or a... Uh, um, what's another word we could say? A sweet reasonableness. Have you ever heard that before? Sweet reasonableness. It's the same kind of a concept. And, and then he says... It's period. And they said, the Lord is at hand, period. Be careful for nothing. So the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? Now, normally if we see that, what do we think? The Lord is at hand. That literally is it. I was, I was thinking you might say that he's coming back again, the second coming. The Lord is at hand. In some of the, some, like in Revelation, or you'll find even in the Thessalonians, that the Lord's coming is at hand. But it doesn't fit this text, does it? Because we have, let your gentleness be known on the moon. And then what's the next phrase? It says... Don't be anxious about anything. So how does the second coming come into that? Well, if he's coming, then I don't have to worry about stuff, right? But that's not the idea. The idea is that he is right there. He is right there present with you. Think of that for a moment. Why do you worry? See, it fits perfectly now. Why should we worry if Jesus Christ is right there? He's with you. You're in him. We're almost, it's like circling back. You're in him. You're in Jesus Christ. He's right there. There's security. That's the fifth one. Security in, in Christ. Security in the Lord. Now, I've told, I think we, write down Hebrews 13.5. It's a great one. I'm going to tell you two quick little stories that actually allows us to see how, how impactful it is that God is right there with you. I mean, he's, he's right, right, right now. He's right here. He is right here. He's teaching us. He's sharing with us. He's loving us. He's surrounding us with his love. He's holding us tight. He's giving us courage and strength for the week to come. That's why we gather. That's why we assemble in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It's for us. He's about us. We're on his team. Isn't that great? Oh, I love it, right? Okay, I'll tell you a quick, couple of quick little stories. Um, there, was a guy, there, was a, there was a ship in, uh, that was in the sea. It was during the World War II and it was torpedoed, and there was a group of those men that were able to get off on a life raft just drifting along the ocean, in the ocean, as their ship was destroyed. And guess who comes along? You know, this is kind of like, hope somebody comes along, but if you would want somebody to come along, who would it be? Not the enemy, right? Well, guess who shows up? The enemy, right? It's a German freighter comes up, and they pick up these men, and they put them in the hold in the bottom of the ship, and it's not good. It's a terrible situation, and you can see, there's just dire circumstances going on. Their, their fate looks very sealed. It does not look good. And there was one of those men that was on that life raft, the life raft that was in the bottom of that, of that ship, was, you know, what, what would you do? This makes prison look good, right? And he's thinking, but, but he know what the verse that came to him, or the chapter that came. Let's go to Psalm chapter 121 for a moment. Psalm chapter 121. 
And uh, he, was, he was in his mind, now, you know what, isn't that cool? What if you get, what if you get dumped in, a, in an enemy ship and you don't have your Bible? What will you do? Read it while you can, right? Right now, be thankful for the opportunity you have for the Scriptures. Read it, absorb it, make it part of you. This guy was remembering Psalm 121. Let's read that, if I get to it. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. And he, 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 he was reciting that. And he said, wait a minute. Oh, I forgot to tell you. You know what you can't do when you're in a really precarious situation? Circumstances look overpowering and there's no way out. Guess how much sleep you get? None. Right? So he says this to God. He says, you know what? I've just read in Psalm 120, or I'm reciting Psalm 121, and it appears to me that you are not sleeping, but you're watching over us. So there's no sense both of us staying awake. Give me some sleep. And he said God gave him the rest that he needed. Isn't that something? And that, now you talk about stability. You see, regardless of circumstances, his anchors are down. He is stable. Where? In the Lord. Steadfast in the Lord. The other one I want to tell you is it actually took place under Stalin's regime in Russia. There was 30 Russian peasants that were meeting in secret to worship and to praise God. And on this particular occasion, guess who comes along? The KGB. And they bust in, and they already knew. They had done their homework. They knew why these people were meeting. And they said, we're going to take every name in this place. And they go through, and they take the 30 names. And they get all done, and they're ready to turn out. An old man said this. He says, you've missed one. No, I get th- no, no, he said, you've missed one. And he starts arguing. You've, you, no, and the old man, he says, no, I guarantee you, you have missed the most important one. The Lord Jesus Christ is right here. Don't forget him. <laughs> now, I don't know what happened there, but I'm going to tell you something. They were secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were secure. In the Lord Jesus. See, when the Lord is at hand, when He's right there with you, and you recognize that, there's nothing that can penetrate that faith. As Peter stepped out of that boat and he was focused on Jesus Christ, guess what he was doing? He was walking on the water. It was when he took his eyes off of Jesus that he began to sink. Good lesson for us. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's look at our last one for today. We find it. I've got to find Philippians again. Philippians chapter 3, and let's look. Oh, no, no, no. We still got it. We got, we got two left. I'm sorry. You knew there was more, didn't you? You knew it. You knew it. You knew it. Yeah, that's right. A little bit more. A little bit more. Yeah, a little bit more. React to your problems with thankful prayer. React to your problems with thankful prayer. In verse 6 of chapter 4 of Philippians, it says, Be careful for nothing. In other words, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through, Jesus, uh, through Christ Jesus. There's some, I'm sure there's some things you could say, I could never go through that. I think of one for myself. When Abram took Isaac up the hill and was going to sacrifice him, what is that in Genesis chapter 20? No, that's not right. 
Is that it? 17, 18? It's right in there. Read it if you'd like. And I, I've looked at that and I say, man, how could you possibly do that? You know what? When you set it up that way, when you give prayer, give petitions to God with thanksgiving, guess what happens? The peace of God, which passes all understanding, is really what lets you go through things you couldn't possibly do or even think about. That you couldn't even possibly think about. Do you remember uh, we did this? I was just thinking of this right now. I was looking out there and I saw Kurt. And remember, we, I'm, I'm, you have to help me, Kurt, now if I did this right away because you reminded me this week. There was three circles, right? Am I okay so far? Okay, you're not talking very much. Where was that one then? Right here. That's the worry circle. What we've done is we've drawn three circles on the board. And the next one was the prayer circle. And then followed by the... Thank, yeah, our gratitude. I'm going to go with thankful because it's easier to spell. Thankful circle. <laughs> and what normally happens? It's interesting. Did you see? And we're setting this up exactly the way Paul writes this down as he's giving it to us. What does he start with? He says... He starts with worry or anxiety. He talks about prayer and thankfulness. Okay? Now, what do you, Kurt, what do, what do you usually do? I'm picking on you right now. I'm picking on Kurt. Everybody knows I'm picking on Kurt. What do you, what, where does most of the stuff go? Two years ago, that first circle It was full. No room for anything else, right? No room, right? Now, again, let's stop and say back, why was it two years ago? Because, see, Kurt hadn't taken step one. Step one was what? To stand fast in the Lord. What is that? That you, you, you trust Jesus Christ with your life. You give him everything you are because then you're safe. You're standing fast in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't have him, guess what? It all goes in the worry circle. Certainly, you don't even have a thankful circle. You don't even have one. Now, the prayer might be just throw up a, a lightning or a, some kind of a little bomb. You know, God help me, right? But you don't know the God. You don't know the God that's supposed to help you. So the worry circle, I think Kurt said that really well. It's full. It was full, wasn't it? When your worry circle's full, guess what? There's no room for anything else. Now, what Paul is saying is empty this one. Empty the worry circle. Get it over here into the... Now, not just petition. This is the key component. You know, we got a lot of wants. Sometimes mark yourself. When you're praying afterwards, after after you've done praying, how much stuff did you ask God for? Were you petitioning Him to do stuff and then how much thankfulness was there in my prayer Ooh, right it's a good place to start and a good place to end thank you god for this day and when you start to thank him for all of the things he's done for you guess what this worry circle is empty because you can trust him he becomes bigger he becomes everlasting remember what habakkuk did ever this is a test everlasting excuse me yeah everlasting what was the second one Self-existent. Third, holy. Fourth, see, I'm doing it myself. I was failing as well. So number four was almighty, right? And number five was faithful. And you know what happens when you're thanking that God? All of this worry circle, pretty soon you know what happens in your Christian life? That circle becomes smaller because it doesn't need to be there anymore. And pretty soon it's absent. Isn't that beautiful? What would happen if your worry circle was gone from your life? Your life would be awesome, Right? It would be awesome. In fact, you'd be so stable, it would blow your mind. And the key is, is to be thankful in prayer. Thanking Him for everything. 
because he is in charge and he knows everything you need. Right, Kurt? Powerful. The last one now we find in verse 8. And he even says it, Paul does. Remember, verse 9 was the one we have an example to follow, which he says. But in verse 8, he says this, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. What's he telling you to do? Take captive of your thoughts and think about good stuff. Think about good stuff. Now, uh, help me with that for a moment. You turn on the television, you turn on the Internet, you turn on, you know, nobody, do you listen? Yeah, I guess you listen to the radio, right? We do. Take all of those communication devices where it's coming into you, it's bombarding you. How much, I don't know, I didn't figure out the percentage because I don't know. How much of that stuff is in that verse? You've got to work at it, don't you? You've got to work at it. Finding a television channel that's about pure stuff, that's about good stuff, that's about real stuff. That's about God's stuff. It's a pretty small deal, isn't it? Hallmark. Used to be. Used to be, right? In fact, they've fallen through the cracks. What, but you see where I'm going with this? You see where I'm going with this? It's hard. It's hard. And that's why, you know, it's amazing how many books that we'll read or talk about or pictures or whatever we'll talk about that are about the Bible... Why don't we just read the Bible? Right? I was in the middle of last night. I was reading something somewhere. And it was talking about a devotional that I've actually used. And I, I can see some good in it. But, you know, but it, was, it was very true. He said, well, why, why don't you just read the Bible? Why don't you just go to the source? It's a really good thing, isn't it? The more, in fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. This is, this is a quote. Um, uh, da, 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 da. The more you study the Word of God, the more God's thoughts are in your mind, and the more the presence of Christ is in your mind, the more secure you become. It's all about just, just overpowering your mind with the Word of God. When you love the Word of God, you can't even stay away from it. You know, and I'm just thinking, you know, here I am, 58 years old. And I've read Ephesians, I've taught through Ephesians, I mean, a number of times. And this summer, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, just exploded in my mind and my heart. It, it just exploded. And the cool part was, is it exploded across another part of the country. That is really cool, isn't it? And it, I, Howard Hendricks, do you, all, do you know who Howard Hendricks is? Anyone? He's, he's passed away, but he was, he was uh, at Dallas Theological Seminary for 52 years. That's what he did. He, he taught the Word of God. And I'm not positive, but there was a book. I think it was John. That, he, that, was, that was his specialty. And someone towards the end of his tenure said, Dr. Hendricks, you must really, really know the book of John. And I hope I'm right on that, but it doesn't matter. It's a book of the Bible, right? And he taught it. That was his specialty. Not saying he didn't study the rest of the Bible. That was his specialty. You know what his answer was? He said, and he, and he literally, to this, to this person that asked him, he said with his thumbnail, he said, I'm barely scratching the surface. Now, that's a, that's a powerful picture of the Word of God. And that's what Paul is saying. Just immerse yourself in the, power, in, the, or in the Word of God, and His power and His strength will blow you away. In fact, in fact, I'm pretty sure that Paul probably would say with a great deal of, of tenacity, 
What I'd like to close with, that passage I just told you about, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3 and just get a sense of how this... We're just going to start in verse 17. No, we're starting in verse 14. It's a prayer that he prays. And just see if this doesn't really fit what we've just been talking about, the adequacy, the, the sense of um, contentment, of being stable in Christ. Verse 14. Chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul says this to this church, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. How do you not get pumped up with that, right? (laughs) I'm just looking at you guys, right? Very strong, very powerful. God is for us. When we're in Him, He is for us. He is with us. What powerful things to encourage ourselves with. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank You for all that You've accomplished, particularly through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the one that died for us, the one that knows us, the one that we're in, the one that is in us when we've trusted Him. Father, if there's anyone here today that does not know Jesus Christ personally, then I would ask that they would follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and accept Him in their quietness of their heart right now. Father God, I am a sinner. I can't do anything about it. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. But Jesus Christ was and is. He came and took my place on the cross. He took my sin. And through that resurrection power that God showed that the sacrifice was complete and eternal, I'm accepting that gift by faith. I'm trusting Jesus Christ now with my life and everything that I am. I confess of my sins. I repent, Father. I turn to you. And if you've prayed that prayer, then you are a brand new person. You have placed your trust in Jesus and you have taken it out of your own hands. Self loves to take control. But when you've trusted Jesus, you become a brand new person. There's a brand new strength. You are now standing in Christ. Positionally, you are fixed. Oh, Father, can we even imagine the power that it took to accomplish this? We thank you. We thank you for the season in which we find ourselves. The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, he wasn't born on this day that we're going to call December 25th, but we commemorate his birth because it says in Galatians 4.4 that in the fullness of time, Christ came. 
And Father, we're here as servants of yours at just the right time. We find a world that's messed up. It's not the first time. It certainly won't be the last. But we can trust you with our future. We can be content. We can be adequate. We can be stable in you. Father, allow us to see more fully the journey that you have for us. And Father, oftentimes we're too concerned about destinations as opposed to the steps of the journey, enjoying them and taking advantage of what you want us to do and to say and to be. But Father, we do need your strength. We need your wisdom. We need your love. We need all the things that Jesus Christ exemplified. And Father, may we even, as Paul has asked, for us to follow after him because he followed Christ. Father, now take us and use us in the ways that you designed for us individually, uniquely. And may we honor Jesus Christ by being content as Paul was in the Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.